Hello and welcome to United's podcast and sermon archives. If you would like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at fergusunited.org or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and we hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you'd like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online to fergusunited.org. And also don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast app. That way you will be automatically notified of our new episodes. Thank you very much and we hope you have a great week. God bless you. grateful to know God, not just to know of God, to be able to come into His presence like this, what a blessing that is. We're going to transition to God's Word, pray that His Spirit would continue to move. Ashley and Allie, if you could help me pass these things out. Jake, basically, man, you can stand up and sit down anytime you want around here. We're not going to tell you what to do. <laughs> Feels good in the presence of God today. We are on week three week three of a Bible study that we're working our way through. Uh, It'll be up on the screen here in just a moment, but we're going to start out with some review anyhow. Trying to do, uh, this is called Exploring God's Word. We're working our way right through the Bible in review, and this is, the further we get along, the more concise review has to be because we're covering more and more material. Um, God created the world as we know it in six days. He rested on the seventh day. It was important for us to note that the earth God created for Adam and Eve, the earth that God created for mankind, was perfect, and they were given access to the tree of life. So Adam and Eve were placed in a perfect environment, and humankind was not created to see death. However, Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and through that sin, death and cursing was introduced to the earth. Uh, Last week we got into some of the details of Cain and Abel, and Cain slew his brother Abel rather than becoming obedient to God's commands. Seth was their younger brother that God later gave to Adam and Eve to replace Cain and Abel. He became the bearer of the future promise of redemption. The people of the world grew increasingly wicked, and it grieved God. God decided to destroy the whole earth and everything living, but Noah found grace in the sight of God. Noah built an ark, and his family was saved through God's grace in his 
obedient faith. God gives Noah and his family a promise never again to flood the earth and seals it with a rainbow. And God commands Noah and his family to go forth from the ark to be fruitful and to replenish the earth. So that's where we left off last week. If we could go to the first chart for this week, we're going to pick up... You know, we as people don't learn very quickly. And so there's just a cycle that we see in Scripture where God gives a command and then people do what they want to do. And so God's command to Noah after uh, on the heels of the flood... He gives a promise never to destroy the earth again. They've seen what God is capable of. And He says, go forth and replenish the earth. So go forth. This off. Go forth and, and fill the entire earth. Um, we're going to read Genesis chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. So it's a little different than what we know now. We've got all kind of different language barriers and cultural barriers. But the whole earth at this point in time was of one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. Imagine that. The whole earth, all of the people... At that time, they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick, and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and had slime for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make a name lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. I want you to notice the absence of God from the language of the people. They, they use to promote and describe this tower. They're communicating one with another about this. And nowhere in the conversation do they consider the will of God or the command of God. But all of their statements center around themselves. Let us, let us make brick. You know what we ought to do? We ought to get together and, and build a city. That's what we're going to do. Let's, let's build a tower. Let's make a name for ourselves. There is no mention of God in their plans. There is no mention of God in their plans. And in turn, their plans are exactly the opposite of His commands. What did God say to do? What did he say to do? Fill to fill the earth. Go forth from the ark and replenish, re refill the earth. And yet here is man saying, let us build a tower because if we don't, we're going to be scattered abroad. If we don't do this thing, we're going we're to be scattered to the ends of the earth. That's exactly what God said to do. And yet their plans are in complete contrast to what God has commanded. So they set out in Genesis 11 and they began to build this tower. They began to make brick and use slime and they're, they're building this thing and it ascends high and Genesis 11, 6 and 7 says, And the Lord said, Behold, this people is one 
and they all and they have all one language. And this they began to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. It's often said that we make plans and God laughs. We make plans and God laughs. This group of people said, let us build a city because we're so incredible. We're going to build a city and we're never going to be scattered abroad. And God said, no, that's not what I said. So I've got, a, I've got another plan in mind. And the Lord visits the city and He confounds their languages. It's always kind of fun to put yourself in the place of Scripture. Do you imagine waking up in your home tomorrow morning and no one speaks the same language? The kids come in and, and they're asking for breakfast and you have no idea what they're saying. Maybe you're half asleep and you don't have any idea what they're saying half the time anyways, but this would be because they're speaking another language. So they, they all show up to the, the build site, to the tower the next day, and the foreman begins to give instruction, and the laborers have no idea what he's saying. And they're trying to say, we don't know what you're saying, and the, and the guy in charge has no idea what they're saying back. They're trying to communicate one with another, and, and there's, there's a group that can understand them, but that's it. The rest of them can't. And just like that, God confounded the languages. And we see an introduction of languages and people groups in Scripture. In your notes, by disrupting their communication, God dismantled the people of earth. All He had to do was disrupt their communication. Now, I think there's a typo in the next line, um, but it should say, Satan took good notes on that day and loves to use the same method method to dismantle what God has chosen to put together. We should take note from this passage of Scripture how important clear communication is. The enemy can weasel his way in to your marriage and break down the ability of you and your spouse to communicate. He is well on his way to dismantling what God has put together. When he weasels his way into families, and begins to cut off the ability to communicate. He can dismantle families. He can come into a church and cause communication to be skewed and either stopped or misused. And he can dismantle churches. He can come between close friends simply by interrupting the flow of communication. We should take note from here of how important it is to keep the lines of communication both healthy and open. Once the ability to communicate is gone, the cords of unity begin to quickly unravel. So this group of people that were amazingly united and, and ready to go, they're going to build a tower, they're going to make a name, they're never going to be scattered abroad, and yet with, with the removal of their ability to communicate, God accomplishes His goal of fu fulfilling and replenishing the entire earth. Um. The descendants of Noah, Noah had three sons, and from those sons and, and their sons and their sons would fill the earth and give us the people groups that we have today. So just a quick breakdown, Shem, Ham, and Japheth are Noah's sons. The descendants of Shem made their way to Assyria, Syria, Persia, Northern Arabia, and Mesopotamia. 
Scripture lets us know that the descendants of Ham made their way to Africa and Arabia, and those of Japheth inhabited Asia Minor and Europe. So Scripture doesn't leave us ignorant as to how the world was populated. There's an answer for that in the Bible. Moving on to the next chart. I like these charts. It always gives me a chance to get a drink of water. As we move forward, we're entering the third phase of how God dealt with man. So if you remember back to lesson one, we said that we were going to divide the Old Testament into four different categories of how God interacted with man. There was a time of innocence. There's a time of conscience. There's a time of the patriarchs. And then ultimately there's the time where God worked with man through the law and prophets. So at this point, we're going to begin to enter into the time of the patriarchs. The introduction of each new era does not remove the former. And the best way I can describe that is uh, just a single human being. When you are born into this world, you know, we don't baptize infants. You know why we don't baptize infants? Because they've never sinned. No infant has ever made a conscious decision or choice to disobey God. Okay, so they are innocent in the sight of God. Now, there does come a point in time where that infant becomes a child. And they start to learn right from wrong. And they have a conscience. It doesn't negate that in the past they were innocent, but now they have a conscience. Now, you're beyond that. You're beyond having a conscience. And you're under the New Testament salvation, but you still have a conscience. So just because you're in a covenant with God, you can be baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the Holy Ghost, that doesn't mean that God doesn't work through your conscience at any point in time. He gave you a conscience for a reason. So just because we're entering into a time of the patriarchs and there are going to be uh, leaders of families that are God speaks to and then they speak to their family doesn't mean all of these people lost their conscience. God always has and as far as I know always will speak to people individually. Amen. Each error does intensify, and that's in your notes, each error intensifies the involvement of God in the redemption of man. So he starts out, uh, there again, it's just, a, it's just your conscience. And now God says, okay, that's not really working out as good as I would like it to. I'm going to begin to speak clearly through patriarchs in their life. And we'll see further unfolding where he says, okay, now I'm going to get even more detailed. Here's a, here's a list of do's and don'ts. Here's a law that I'm going to give to you. And each time he ups the ante, he intensifies his involvement in the redemption of man. It's at this time in Scripture that God calls out a man by the name of Abram, which we know as Abraham. Abram. He's roughly 75 years old at the time that God speaks to him. And these are the things God tells him to do. He says, I want you to leave your home and your family. So on the heels of the death of his father, which the Scripture lets us know was not a godly man, he speaks to Abraham and he says, I want you to leave what you're comfortable with. You should be stepping into an inheritance. You should be stepping into some things that are yours in the flesh, but... I am calling you to, to just take your family and go for a walk. Now that would be challenging enough if God said, I want you to go to this specific location. 
But God's call to Abraham was, you just, you just go and I'll lead you to where you're supposed to be. I'm not even going to tell you what the destination is. I just want you to trust me and go. He tells Abraham that he's going to make of him a great nation. It required great faith to follow God's call. I mean, look just at the surface level to leave what you know, to leave what you're familiar with and comfortable with, and, and to step out. That requires faith, but also to trust God that there was going to be a great nation that would come from Abraham. His wife was barren. They had no children. It would almost be comical for God to say to him, you're, you're going to, to birth a great nation. It's almost like he's mocking or making fun of, but that's, that's not the heartbeat of God. Um, Lot, his nephew, decides to tag along. So here comes Lot, and he brings his family, and he follows after Abraham. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to consolidate that story. There's a few things that you need to pick out in the life of Lot. When you read about Lot and Abraham walking together, many times you're going to read about the fact that Abraham would stop along the journey and he would build an altar. And he would offer sacrifices to God. And Lot was always in the picture. He was always a part of that. He was familiar with the things of God. But never once do you read in your Bible where Lot built any altars. Lot was, he was not spiritual in and of himself. He was spiritual by proxy. He was close to Abraham, and therefore that kept him close to God, but he never built his own relationship with God. And there came a time where both Lot's family and Abraham's family were so blessed that their herds and their, their servants began to argue and bicker and fight. And Abraham said, Lot, we're family, man. I love you. I don't want there to be this tension between us. Here, here's the land before you. You choose which land you want, and you can have it. And I'll go the other way. And Lot, being the kind individual that he was, he looked over the land and he said, well, there's, there's desert over here, and there's, there's lush, green, fertile ground over here, and so, uh, Uncle Abe, you can have the desert. And he takes the, the good place. And the Bible tells us that Lot began to point his tent in the direction of a wicked city, Sodom and Gomorrah. He wasn't in Sodom and Gomorrah, but now he's separated from his only connection to God that he ever had, Abraham. And rather than, than beginning to develop his own relationship with God and build his own altars, he sets his tent so that he's got a really good view of the world. He's got a really good view of, of what's going on in a, in a wicked city. And it wasn't long before, it wasn't just the direction that his tent was pointing, but the Bible tells us that Abraham picked up his family and he moved into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And then he became a leader in that city. And the Scripture lets us know that he would sit in the gate. And God eventually sees the wickedness of this city. And he, he looks down and he speaks to Abraham and he says, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now he made a promise he was never going to destroy the earth with a flood. But he said, I'm going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And there's an interesting dialogue between Abraham and God. And he begins to throw out numbers and negotiate, if you will, with God. God, if I can find, if, if I can go into that city and I can find 50 righteous people, would you spare that city? And God says, I, I would spare the city for 50 people. And I didn't make note of the numbers, but he, he continues, how about 40? God, would, would you spare the city for 40 people? And God says, yeah, I, I would do that. Well, what about, what about 30? He gets all the way down to 10. 
He says, God, how about ten? If I can go into the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah and I can find ten righteous people, would you spare the city? And God says, I'll spare the entire city for ten righteous people. But it was such a wicked city that ten righteous people could not even be found. It was completely wicked. And so God allows for Lot to be saved. He sends angels into the city of Sodom and Gomorrah to warn Lot that judgment was coming. He, and they go in and they say, get your family. We've got to get out of here. And the city was so wicked that Lot pulls the angels into his home. And he says, please, stay the night here. They, they came in in human form. He says, please, stay the night with me. Lodge here. And the men of that city came and began to pound on the door and demand that Lot send those men out that they would know them. And we don't have Sunday school today, so I'm not going to get extremely detailed. I'll just remind you that when Adam knew his wife, she bare a son. Okay? This was a wicked place. And they're banging on the door saying, send the men out here now so that we may know them. And Lot, in his, he, he's been so caught up in this system. And he's, he, the Scripture says he vexed his righteous soul. What he knew to be right had become so skewed in his mind. His response to these people was, listen, these men are my guests. Allow me to send my daughters out instead. See how messed up that is? Lot knew the ways of God. And yet here he is in a very bad situation. And they refuse. No, you, you sent, like by force, they're pressing into the door. So much so that the angels smite this group of men with blindness. And even in their blindness, the Bible says they're feeling after the door. They refuse to repent. They refuse to recognize that there's something more powerful at play. And so God is committed to bringing judgment on this city. The angels take Lot and his family by the hands. And he leads them out. And on their way out, they were instructed not even to look back. When God brings you out of something, it's very wise not to look back. There's no sense looking back because it wasn't good for you in the first place. And Lot's wife being so connected to what was there, the Scripture says that she, she couldn't take it. She had to look back. What are you looking at? Like, you know what's coming. You know what was just there, and yet you're, you're longing for that still. And in that moment, the Bible tells us that God turned Lot's wife to a pillar of salt. You say, oh, these are cool stories. No, this happened. This is factual events. God's not putting together a, a story to prove a point. And fire and brimstone rained on that city and God destroyed that city. Going back to Abraham and, and Sarah, because in order to get to where we need to in Scripture, we couldn't really get into too much detail there. Abraham and Sarah, they hear the voice of God. They leave where they were. Sarah's his wife. And they're following after God, and some time has gone past, and they thought that, you know, God, you should have done this already. You said you were going to make a great nation, and yet we still don't have any children. So, you're, you know, we're going to help you out. We're going to, in the flesh, accomplish what you said you were going to do in the spirit. Bad idea. So Sarah takes the, the bright idea, and she says to Abraham, Abraham... I, I'm obviously barren. I can't have any children. So what I want to do is I want to give you my servant and you can have kids with her 
And then that way God's promise can come to pass. Maybe God must not have knew I was barren. Like I don't know where their mind is here. Actually, I do. Because we do the same thing sometimes. We think we're going to figure things out for God. We're just going to maneuver things so that what God said will come to pass. And God's like, no, you, you need to be patient. Because I've got a timeline that doesn't line up with yours. But here, Abraham, not being a very smart man, says, yeah, that, that sounds like a great idea. And a son is born by the name of Ishmael. And Ishmael is the origin of the Arab nations. Now, eventually, Abraham and Sarah have the son that God promised. God comes through on His Word just like He always does. And this son's name is Isaac. And there's conflict, as only you can imagine, between Sarah and her servant, and between Isaac and Ishmael. And it sets the stage for the conflict that we still see played out in the Middle East today. Why is it that the Jewish people and the Arab people both feel that they have a rightful claim to what they fight over? This is why. It tracks all the way back to Scripture. It's a biblical conflict that's still in play thousands of years later. Genesis 17, God renews His covenant with Abraham. You can read that in Genesis 17, 1-10. And in this passage, God establishes a token of His covenant with Abraham. So just like there was a rainbow for Noah, God establishes a token with Abraham, and that was the token of circumcision. A lot of times we read things in our Bible, if we're not familiar with the context, they just don't make any sense. You know, you read phrases in the, um, in the Bible, you get to Acts 19, I think it is, and it says, and they of the circumcision which were with Paul. Or Peter, or whoever, and you're like, what? Like that's an unnecessary detail. No, it's talking. They were Jewish people that were with him. They of the circumcision. So anytime you read that in your Bible and, and you see that terminology, it's referring to those who were under a covenant that was established all the way back at Abraham. Uh, Genesis 22, one and two. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, which is interesting, God did not even recognize Ishmael as a son of Abraham. God says, Take thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. This is a test of Abraham's faith. When you see that uh, in the beginning of that text, and it says God did tempt Abraham, that what it's getting at there is test Abraham. Because the Scripture also says God will not tempt any man with evil. There is a test that's laid out before Abraham because now God wants to know, do you love me or do you love my promises more? Now, Abraham and Sarah had waited a long time for this child. I'm sure many prayers had been prayed, many tears had been cried, and now they finally got their boy. And by this point, he's about 13 years old, somewhere in that vicinity. And God says, Abraham, I got an idea. I want you to take Isaac, and uh, I want you guys to go for a walk and, and make your way up into a mountain that I'm going to show you. And, and when you get up there, I want you to offer your son to me as a burnt sacrifice. 
that's, that's tough. Faith is not abstract. Faith is active. Faith is not abstract. Faith is active. You can say all day long you believe something, but if you're not willing to act on it, it would be questionable whether or not you really believe it. Because faith produces action. There's a lot to that. I'm going to get into it a little bit. Um, Again, the the statements that were made, Isaac is, is actually carrying the wood for the fire on his back. Abraham now is well over 100 years old. Okay? He, he's an old guy. Isaac is around 13 years old. He's strong. He's young. He's carrying the wood. And he's like, hey, Dad, <laughs> obviously I know where the wood's at. Um, where, where's the sacrifice? I think we forgot the lamb. And God says, or God says, Abraham says, and both in immediate faith and it's even prophetic looking all the way forward to Jesus, he says, God will provide a sacrifice. Now he knew what God had called him up there to do, but he, he continues to act in faith. Not only was Abraham tested, this is always talked about as Abraham's test, but Isaac would soon carry this, this promise. It would be given to Isaac. So does Isaac trust God? Again, Abraham, well over a hundred years old. Anybody in here know anyone over a hundred? You know somebody over a hundred? Can they keep up with a 13-year-old? No. Are they able to overpower a 13-year-old? No. So there was also a willingness on the part of Isaac to at least some extent, because the Scripture says that this young man allowed himself to be bound and placed on the altar. Isaac was being tested as well. And it's not until Abraham is standing over him with a knife in his hand that God speaks again and says, don't touch the child. He says, now I know I can trust you. And just off to the side, there's a ram that's caught in the thicket and a sacrifice is offered unto God. And both Abraham and Isaac make their way back down the mountain. So God knew that He could trust Abraham. He also recognized that He could trust Isaac. We make our way to chart 3. We're going to continue to go. Isaac now carried the promise given to Abraham of multiplying his descendants. Isaac and his wife Rebekah have twin sons by the names of Jacob and Esau. Esau was the elder brother. He was a strong man. The Scripture says he was a great hunter. Um, when it describes Jacob, he was, he was more of a mama's boy. So there's, there's two different things going on here with Jacob and Esau. And Esau comes in from the field one day, and as the eldest, he had um, preferential treatment. He had a birthright. That would give him preferred treatment among the family. It would also give him more of an inheritance when his father passed away. And he comes in from hunting, and uh, Jacob's there, and he was cooking, and he had some, a pot of beans made up. And Esau says, give me some of those beans. I'm just I'm so hungry. And Jacob goes, oh, these beans? Sure. I'll give you some of these beans. Uh, let's make a deal. You give me your birthright, and I'll give you some beans. 
And Esau makes a very foolish trade and he agrees. He says, oh, what good is my birthright going to do if I starve to death? Like he couldn't have took the time to cook his own beans. And he sells off his inherited right as the eldest son. And now Jacob, the younger, has possession of the birthright. As if that was not enough, Isaac gets up in years and he calls for Esau. And he says, I want you to go out and I want you to hunt and and bring me some meat from the field. And when you get back, I'm going to bless you. This wasn't just, oh, bless you for bringing me some food. He's going to pray a prayer of blessing over his son as he's getting ready to pass away. And their mother overhears this and she favored Jacob. And so as Esau takes off to go hunting, she gets Jacob and she says, listen, I want you to go into the pen and take one of the lambs and kill it. Bring it to me. I'm going to prepare it just like dad likes. And you're going to go in there and you're going to get Esau's blessing. Because the Bible tells us by now, Isaac was nearly blind. Jacob's like, well, Esau, he's a hairy guy. You know, he's big and strong and I'm not like that. And his mom says, that's okay. Bring the, the skin of the goat and we're going to put that on your arms and we're going to fool dad. And he goes along with this plan and he goes in and Isaac, he just really pours it out. He prays every blessing he can think of onto Jacob. And Jacob leaves the room, and then in comes Esau. Dad, I've brought the meat you requested. And he's like, what? And he recognizes what happens, and he, he basically says to Esau, he says, I, I got nothing left to pray over you. Like, I've just prayed everything over your brother. And Jacob, knowing that his life was at risk, and under the advisement of his mother, flees. He goes to another land and lives with an uncle, because Esau would have killed him. I mean, it, it was that bad. Things were not good at home. Um, a lot of time goes by, and God establishes His covenant with Jacob because that was part of the prayer. That was part of the birthright. And He's there. Let's read Genesis twenty-eight, thirteen, and 14. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south. And in thee, and in thy seed, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So God establishes Abraham's covenant, first with Isaac, and now it passes on to his son, to Jacob. We're going to fast forward 20 years in Scripture, And Jacob's name is changed to Israel. Uh, Genesis 32, 24-28 And Jacob was left alone, and there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh went out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince thou hast power with God and with men and hast prevailed. Jacob is on his way back to his homeland. He he has done everything he could think of to appease his brother. He sent forth cattle. He sent forth gifts. 
he, he divided his family up into two groups because he said, if, if my brother comes on one group and, and kills them all, then at least the other group can escape. And, and he sent everyone ahead, and he's by himself. He's by himself now. And he wrestles. The Scripture says with a man, this is the personification of God, he wrestles with God through the night. To the point where he says, let me go. He touches the hollow of his thigh and it's out of joint and there's pain and yet he still won't let go. He says, not until you bless me. And his name is ultimately changed. For years, Jacob knew of God. He had encounters with God. He even made some commitments to God. But there was still something that God had to work out of him. You see, Jacob was always working an angle. He was always looking for a way to scheme and make things work out and and find a way around. You read about that. But this night, he was found alone. There were no more angles to work. There was nothing left to do. He had to persevere. The easy way was taken away. And in response to him persevering and holding out and being willing to stand and take responsibility, God changes his name and pronounces a blessing over him. Chart 4. Be the next chart. Israel, formerly known as Jacob, fathers 12 sons. Their names are listed there in your notes. These 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel. So again, when you're reading through the Old Testament and we read about the people of Israel, in our minds now, we associate that with a piece of land in the Middle East. But when we're reading in Scripture, the people of Israel were actually the descendants of Israel. They were the the sons, and they became each one of these sons became a tribe of Israel. Um, Israel, the man, favored his son Joseph. Genesis thirty seven three and four. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Parents, that's a bad idea, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. Add to this that Joseph was given dreams by God and was not wise enough to share them sparingly. He'd just wake up, guess what, I, man, I had this dream last night. He's talking to all of his older brothers and his parents. I had this wonderful dream. I was there and like, you guys were all worshiping me and bowing down before me and stuff. Man, it was so cool. They hated him. They actually hated him to the point that they, they conspired to kill him. We're going to kill this kid. We're, we're sick of it. And so he comes skipping along one day bearing a message. And luckily Reuben had some reservations. So we can't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. Thanks, Reuben. And so he's sold into slavery. He ends up in an Egyptian's house by the name of Potiphar. God elevates him there. He's the the captain of the house. Even as a slave, he's given authority and and preferential treatment. And Potiphar's wife started to eye up Joseph. And Joseph said, "I, I have integrity. I can't do that. You need to stay away from me. It made her mad. She lied to her husband and said that Joseph attacked her. Joseph is thrown into prison. He is elevated again. He's put in charge of all the other prisoners. Uh, During his time in the slammer, he interprets some other dreams for the baker and for the butler. And the baker had bad news. 
Joseph said, you know what, I'm sorry, but according to your dream, your life's going to be required. And it wasn't very long, and the baker was hanged, and he said to the butler, but for you, I have good news. They were butler to um, Pharaoh. He said, you're, you're going to be restored. Like, you're going to, I don't know what's going to happen here. You're going to end up back there. And sure enough, that's what happened. And Joseph has just forgotten about. He's still there doing time. Until Pharaoh has some dreams that he cannot interpret, none of his people can interpret, the butler recommends Joseph. Uh, he's taken from the throne or from the cell into the throne room. God gives him the ability to properly interpret these dreams. And Pharaoh says, because you've done this, I'm going to make you number two in the kingdom. He said, whatever you say, that's what goes. He said, only when I'm sitting in my throne am I going to be more powerful than you. So Joseph is now elevated to this place. Um, I'm trying to make up time because I've got some things I have to get to. How did Joseph maintain a proper spirit through those years? Faith. Faith. He had to believe that what God said was going to come to pass would come to pass. Because it didn't look very good in his current situation. It's not very long before he, the famine sets in. That was part of the dreams that Pharaoh dreamed. There were going to be seven good years and then seven bad years. The famine sets in. And it's not very long before he's, he's sitting there looking out and here come his brothers because the famine has reached the land that they live in. So the guys that threw him in the pit, the guys that were going to kill him, the guys that sold him into slavery, it was their fault that he got lied about in Potiphar's house. It was their fault that he spent all this time in prison. Here they come. And there's a, a whole thing that rolls out there. He, he talks to them as if they're spies. He keeps one of their brothers. They come back years later with uh, their other brother, their youngest. Ultimately, he extends forgiveness. They were afraid, and rightfully so, but Joseph extends forgiveness to them. And what God said was going to happen, what Joseph had to have faith for all those years, comes to pass just like that. Here's all of his brothers, and what are they doing? They're bowing down before him as he stands as the second most powerful man in the most powerful empire on the planet at the time. Now, there was a long journey between those dreams that God gave to a boy who didn't know how to keep his mouth shut and them coming to pass. It took a lot of faith to get to where he was. But there it was happening just like God said it was going to happen. Uh, he sends for them. They all go and retrieve their families. They retrieve Joseph's father. They bring them to the land of Egypt. And they're given the land of Goshen. It's a good land for their herds, their shepherds. It's great. And that's where we're going to end as far as our, our timeline of study today. Every week though there's, that we're going through this, there's the knowledge side. And we've covered a lot of ground today. But then there's the application side. So what do you do with this when you leave here today. And this is why I've tried to move quickly because I realized time was getting away from me. But I woke up this morning at around 5 o'clock in the morning and I began to pray about this service and I feel so confidently that God has brought this to a head. Faith. Faith. You say, well, I said it earlier. Faith isn't abstract, it's active. So how do I take action on faith? And if, if you'll walk with me for a moment and try to articulate what God's laid on my heart. How many of you, I look around, I don't need you to raise your hand, I know, are, are in a relationship right now. You're married, you're in a relationship. You got your hand raised? Not yet, darling. Daddy wouldn't be very happy about that. 
No, that was your daughter. <laughs> so, okay, but, but here's the real question. The person you're married to now, is that the first person you ever dated? No. Yes? Well, good for you. Good for you. It wasn't in our case. You guys? No? Ernie, you and Ashley? No? Monica? No? So you could not have the relationship that you have now without letting go of a relationship that you had in the past. It would not be possible. It wouldn't be healthy. It wouldn't be right. So we're going to say it wouldn't be possible. You had to be willing to, to let go of that. Now, relationships are, are funny because sometimes we don't want to let go of relationships because they're really good. But yet, we, we see other people that are in toxic relationships, and they still don't want to leave the relationship. Because it's predictable. And it's familiar. And so we choose what we're familiar with over what we have to have faith in. I would rather stay with what is familiar, even though it's not what, what God is leading me to. So oftentimes we allow the voice of fear to cause us to stick to what is predictable instead of listening to the voice of faith that will lead us to what is promised. We have to be willing to leave some things. So back to our Bible study. We have Abram who had to become Abraham. God said, I have to change who you are in order for you to step into where I want you to be. We have a man by the name of Jacob who God said, you're going to have to become Israel. Well, I know what to expect in Jacob's life. Though. See, I've been Jacob for a long time. You can put your name in the blank. I can put my name in the blank. Because who I am right now is a, it's a, uh, a combined... I don't know what you want to get. It's a mixture. It's all stirred up in a pot. It's all my experiences. It's all my hurts. It's all my successes. It's all my failures. And, and I have become who I am through these things that I am familiar with. And I know how I respond. And I know what's going to happen in my life tomorrow. And I know what all that looks like. And sometimes God begins to call us beyond who we are and, and what we know. And it, it requires us to change who we are to step into who He's called us to be. And that's scary. And that's uncomfortable. But we can say, oh, I believe you, Jesus. I believe it's going to happen. God's saying, faith isn't abstract. Faith is action. You've got to take the step. You've got to be, you've got to be willing to move into that. And there are times in our life where we, we know God. We're reading our Bible. We're praying. And yet it just feels like the, the working of God becomes stagnant. God, why aren't you working in my life like you were working in my life? Man, there for a while, it was like things were happening, and I could feel your presence, and I could hear your word, and, and all of these things were great, and now things are just kind of they're just kind of status quo. And this is what I feel like God laid on my spirit this morning, is that oftentimes when we hit that place, it's not because we have reached a point where God no longer wants to work in our life. It's not because we've reached a point where God is no longer able to do anything. We, we have maxed out His power and His ability. But, but we have reached a point, or God has reached a point, where He's come to the border of our faith. The border of what we will allow Him to do 
in our in our faith. What is faith? Let's break it down. It's trust. It's trust. So Jason and I had an encounter last night in our shed. Not that kind of encounter. He, he was being good. But there's a shelf in the shed, and, and once before he got up there, and it was really scary. I could touch his feet. But he, he jumped from that shelf, and I called him. And he wanted to do that again. And so I put him up there, and he froze. He was afraid. And this is like half an hour going on. You know, he'd tell me, you go do another job. So I'd walk around the corner and start the fire and come back. And, and he's, he's afraid to jump to the point where I became agitated. Like, just do it. Just let's get this over with. And I didn't realize it until this morning when God started working on me. Really, I wasn't agitated that he, I don't care if he jumps off of the shelf of the shed. What began to agitate me is the fact that he didn't trust me when I said, it's going to be okay. I'm going to catch you. I, I'm right here. My hands are right here. What is God saying to the church today? It, it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. You've got to have faith. you got to have faith. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to take the time to pray today. question that you have to answer is what are you having trouble believing today? The voice of fear was louder in my son's mind than the voice of, of faith. And that's fine because faith in me maybe I would have dropped him. Maybe I would have missed him. But God won't drop you. And God won't miss you. Maybe it's something that God spoke into your life a long time ago. For Jacob, it was over 20 years. God spoke something into your life a long time ago, and you just haven't seen it happen. Like Abraham and Sarah, you've tried to make it happen a couple times, and it just, just doesn't work out. But if God said it was going to happen, it'll happen. You've got to pursue it. You've got to keep going after it. Maybe it's a new step of faith where you say, What? I've never been there. I don't know what that looks like. When God's talking to Abraham and he says, I just want you to leave everything you know. Just start walking. I'll show you the land. Just pick a direction. Just, just, just hear my voice and just walk. And maybe God's calling you to take some steps. Don't be so comfortable with who you are. Don't be so committed to the relationship that you have with the person you are now that you refuse to allow yourself to be changed by the Word and the power of God for something better. Take the time to pray and talk to God today. Ask the Lord to help you with faith. God, give us the courage to walk in faith.